Blog Talk Radio. Are you tired of being sheep? Well, so is he. Get a friend, get informed, and get involved. It's We're Not Cattle Radio. Good evening and welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio. I am your host, Jake Counts, coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia. It is September 10th, 2013, and I will be live here for the next two hours. We had a um, scheduling conflict with Mr. Ben Swan. He was supposed to be on the podcast this evening, but we are uh, moving some stuff around, and I will let you guys know as soon as we can get him back on the calendar Shooting for this Thursday, but who knows? Maybe it'll be uh, this Thursday, maybe it'll be next week. But um, we will for sure get him on the show, get his take on everything. If you guys have not seen it yet, I highly recommend going and watching his video about 9-11. And, you know, coming into the podcast this evening, I'm kind of torn on how I want to really produce the show, I guess. In a few minutes... President Barack Obama is going to be addressing the nation on what we are going to do and what our strategy, I guess, is going to be in Syria. So I don't really know if I should be even doing a podcast right now because of the implications of what he could say. But then again, he could just come out and say it's bumpkins. I'm tempted to actually run the interview that I'm going to run the last 35 minutes of the podcast this evening in honor of 9-11 tomorrow, the anniversary, the 12th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks, um, I'll just put on freedom. I don't want to put on the United States because that's what it really was. It was an attack on um, on the Republic in more ways than one. And so trying to work through this stuff out in my mind and trying to basically retool what I was going to discuss this evening... I'm kind of at a crossroads right now, and when I say that, I literally just got done watching Bill O'Reilly enter uh, Stossel on Fox News, and what Bill O'Reilly was saying was really scaring me, and it's not that Bill O'Reilly's a scary-looking dude or anything like that. I don't like the way that he bullies his guests and the way that he talks down to people, but you know, some old... White curmudgeony people find that fascinating because they enjoy that. They think it means that he's powerful and he's a he's just a he just commands the the interview and really just railroads people and doesn't even let them talk and then talks down to him when they actually make good points like Stossel did. But what Bill O'Reilly was saying just kind of freaked me out in the fact that he's giving right cover to a. To an intervention in Syria. Now, an intervention in Syria isn't... I mean, we don't know. We don't know if Assad did these things. The best intel we've got from other nations coming to the United States stating that the fact that they've got... I mean, there just was some German press today, and I'm going to cover that in an article a little bit later, stating that, that is Assad vehemently denied the interaction with chemical weapons. 
which he did with Charlie Rose, who's a Bilderberg member, insider, whatever you want to call him. Listen, anybody that's a member of the Trilateral Commission, Bilderberg Group, Council on Foreign Relations, which from what I understand now, I guess from the intel that you get on different sectors depending on how deep you dive, the Council on Foreign Relations has just basically become a you know a good old boys club. It's not really the driving force that it used to be for global governance. But Charlie Rose is a mid Bilderberg, and he was asking you know pretty pointed questions to Assad, and Assad was responding with pretty rational responses. But then Charlie Rose starts tilting Assad's words a little bit, and that's where you saw the wordplay come in. And now we're seeing Bill O'Reilly with the wordplay. Bill O'Reilly on his show literally a few minutes ago, my wife had to tell me to calm down before I came on air because I was literally jumping out of my seat yelling at the television saying, well, Assad used chemical weapons. Well, he used chemical weapons. I mean, Assad gassed his own people. No proof yet, anybody. Unless something happened magically while I was at work today that 50 people didn't blow my phone up and say, oh my God, okay, we really do have proof now and there's evidence, so so I guess buckle down. wasn't on Drudge Report. I'm sure that's going to be one of the top headlines is if proof has finally emerged and and now, you know, get ready for boots on the ground or or not boots on the ground, or airstrikes, but limited airstrikes, and teeny tiny airstrikes, and small cruise missiles, but not really big cruise missiles, military invasion, but not military invasion, you know, ships, destroyers in the ports, but not in the ports. I mean, this makes me think, and that's why when I was watching it, it really makes me think that we're going to go to, um, we're going to go to war. And I'm really upset about it. And it's not because of what Bill O'Reilly said, that we have this severe... And just the way that he covered it was so gross. I mean, he 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 compared what Assad is doing to Adolf Hitler in 1938, what, where he's like, well, we didn't accept any refugees here, we didn't do any of this, we didn't do any of that, and we could have stopped Hitler. Listen. Assad has no, none whatsoever, ideas, ideologies of global conquest, like Hitler did. Hitler wrote a book about it. Time magazine said he was the man of the year. What a great guy this is. So when I saw Bill O'Reilly say all these things on on his show, it really makes me think that I, I kind of expect the worst now. And I don't know what to do. I, I'm literally sitting here on air trying to do a podcast, wondering if our nation is going to go off into another, um, into another what they're going to call kinetic action or what whatever stupid mundane term they're going to use to dumb down the sheep with, to to convince people that bombing brown people and killing innocent civilians is fine as long as they're brown, they're in another country. Because O'Reilly said a couple of times, well, there's a lot of bad guys over there. I I don't want to play fucking GI Joe with you guys anymore. This is not Cobra. There's not bad guys. These are human beings. Stop being warmongers. Stop it. And I dropped an F-bomb seven minutes into my show because I can't contain myself anymore. This could really lead to something really nasty. Really nasty. And these guys are parading around like it's just going to be sweetie cakes and just puppy dogs and ice cream. And they're just going to sit back and everything's going to be fine. 
the fact of the matter is, is that with all the scandals, you need a political diversion now. What's the best political diversion? What's the best remedy for a drowning economy? What's the best remedy? Take everybody off to war and get everybody distracted. I don't think it's working anymore, guys. 499 to 1 phone calls saying don't do it. So if this administration does it, you best believe and bet your bottom dollar that I will take time off of work, drive my ass up to Washington, and protest for however long it takes to get him thrown out of office. This is an absolute war crime if we go after these people. An unprovoked civil war between Sunnis and Shiites, and we're going to stick our nose in it. I don't know what to say. I really don't. And if you don't feel me out there, people, if you don't really feel me and feel the passion that I have, and it's not the passion that I have for America. We've been captured by foreign banking interests and special interests a long time ago. This is not the America that you believe. When you got Rand Paul pulling some shady stuff and pulling some establishment-type stuff, trying to get journalists' his credentials removed and stuff like that, this – all right, we're getting into the last little moments here. So what do we do? And everybody says, well, we just need to have a march on Washington. But guess what? Everybody's so damn broke that nobody can afford the time off. Or everybody's so damn lazy that they're not going to do it. So what do we do? We get on Facebook. We blog about it. We message each other about it. But nobody does anything. But I'm telling you right now, on air, live, you can take this to the bank. Take it to the bank. We will not sit around... And watch innocent civilians, innocent American soldiers that didn't sign up for an empire. You didn't sign up for global conquest. You signed up to protect the Constitution of the United States. Where in the hell in the Constitution of the United States to say, intervene, intervene in every foreign entanglement that you ever can. And any time that there's any sort of... Mineral or strategic military position, you go invade that country, kick the rulers out, and take over. Oh, and by the way, sanctions on them first, kill two million people, then go in and kill two million, another million people like we did in Iraq, and that's freedom. And then I saw Bill O'Reilly get up there and talk about, we tried to give Iraq democracy. We tried to give them freedom. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? This is bizarre. So I don't know what to do. I, I really don't. I should be watching the president right now, but instead I'm running a podcast trying to figure out how in the hell this is going to go down. And yeah, I'm on minor freakout mode, guys, because y you see people like Bill O'Reilly giving establishment you know, right, right cover for this. And they've been singing a different tune for the last couple of days, but then all of a sudden, right before the big speech... The talking points have shifted. What do we do? I don't know. People call in with your – I mean call in with some answers. I don't know what to do. My friend Josh is going to call in here in about 30 minutes. He's a pretty smart kid. He's probably got a good idea of what we can do. But at this point, um, I'm just watching Facebook now because I'm looking for updates on anything that I can get. I'm sorry, everybody. I'm frazzled. I mean I'm almost as frazzled as when Adam's house got raided, almost as frazzled as that. Because I don't, I, I, I don't know what to do. This is so silly. Call in, help me out, guys. This is the People's Liberty Show, and um, we got to figure out something here. 
We got to figure out a way to get more people woken up to this. I mean, if we trot off to war with a 499 to one disapproval, they need, all need to be thrown out, all of them. Uh, it's in the Constitution, everybody. We can take the country back, and I'm not talking about taking it back with force. I'm talking about taking it back and then dissolving the federal government and starting over. This is ridiculous. This is absolutely sick. And and who knows what's going to go on. Maybe he's going to go out there and say that everything's peaches and we're not going to do anything. We're going to try diplomacy. But the way that they were hyping this thing from the jump doesn't make me think that they're going to back down. And I don't think that Russia's going to back down. So I don't know. And then you've got people that have no clue what's going on in the world. And they're who knows? Who absolutely knows? I don't even want to speculate on what could happen here. So, guys, call in. Give me your take on it. I, I, I'm, in, I'm in a loss for words. 602-753-1916. If you're listening live, you can go to the Skype icon. Call me on Skype if you have Skype pulled up. But right now, I, I'm just going to have to go to a clip on MSNBC with some person with some logic. And this is talking about – actually, let me go to this clip first. This is a clip from Judge Napolitano. I believe it was last week, but I didn't get to it. This is going to give me four minutes to kind of right my ship here because we're we're living in crazy cuckooville right now. Bill O'Reilly is comparing Bashar al-Assad to, to Adolf Hitler only because he knows that that's how stupid the American public is. And if they hear Adolf Hitler and Bashar al-Assad, they're going to be like, oh my god, we got to stop him. We got to. He used chemical weapons. We got to stop him with no proof. Remember, no proof. None. If anything, we've got proof that the rebels did it. Who we funded for two years. This is so stupid. This is so dumb. I mean, if this is if this is the way that the United States falls, then oh my god, we are we are the most pathetic bunch of dumbasses on the planet. If we're gonna let two bit twerps in suits with teleprompters ruin this nation and destroy us and possibly lead us into World War Three, then who knows, man. Who knows? Maybe we were destined to fail. Maybe the you know, maybe the Illuminati did set us up to conquer the world. Who knows? But I want to hear from you. 602-753-1916. I will get you up and on the air as soon as you get in here. Remember, it is the People's Liberty Show with your spastic host, Jake Counts, coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia. So here is Andrew Napolitano's take on Syria, and then I'm going to try to pull up the live feed of our president-elect. Our president, excuse me, he's not president-elect anymore. I don't want to call him commander in chief because that's only in war times. But you know, they just tout that little saying all around, like it does, like it, like it means that he can control the military. So this is so sick, everybody. Cooler heads, please prevail. If you haven't hit your knees and prayed, I don't care if you're an atheist. This is the kind of stuff you pray about. If there's a higher being, a higher consciousness, you need to connect with it now, and you need to send all the good vibes that you can. Up to Washington so that we can have some common sense prevail. Because if the bankers get this war and the military-industrial complex get this war, the United States is done. I have a very, very sinking feeling that we might be done. And the only reason I say that is because Russia doesn't play games. And then I heard Bill O'Reilly talking about how Hezbollah is going to team up with Iran. And they're already starting to basically choreograph it out for the American public. Well, here's what's going to happen. And, you know, Syria is going to team up with Iran. Yeah, because they're right next door, and they understand what's happening. What would you do if you're a nation and you see the world's largest empire that has ever been formulated covertly 
coming in and blowing up the country right next to you on some stuff that's not even not even been disclosed yet. The UN has not given their oh their evidence on this stuff yet. I mean, what are we doing? And then and then if you're Iran, you're sitting there with Syria about to get toppled by the US government if they decide to go through with this thing, which all signs are pointing to that they're just going to say, screw it, we don't care what you guys think. We got the guns, we got the tanks, we know what we're doing, we're going in. Remember, not taking the moral high ground is going to end terribly. And then, and then and Bill O'Reilly kept using the children. Oh, we nerve gas the children. The children, the children, the children. Stop with your propaganda BS. I'm so tired of it. So tired of it. And if you're tired of it too, then you should be telling people how to read through the propaganda, which – by the way, reminds me, um, it will probably be starting not this weekend, but next weekend. You can check it out on wearenotcattle.net, and we will actually be hosting um, – my friend Josh and I will be doing a new segment, which we call um, Decoding Propaganda. And so we're going to take white propaganda, obviously war propaganda that we're seeing here, and we're basically going to break it down for you so you can send those links on to your friends and show them what is being propagated towards them even if they don't realize it. And we're going to break it down, and yeah, there, people are going to call us conspiracy theorists or kooks or whatever. I don't care. The fact of the matter is, at least I can get you thinking that way, or at least I can get you thinking another way, because right now, the way that the population is thinking right now, other than the fact that everybody's calling in and telling their senators and their congressmen, hell no, stay out of Syria, other than the fact that those people are taking action and understand how bad this could be, the general public doesn't understand that you're in a high-tech propaganda matrix. There's no other way to put it. There is no other way to put it. You are being propagandized to consume for the corporate culture of America. Remember, this is not America. Remember, America is liberty, freedom, and justice for all. That's what it is. Not Walmart, Target, not those things. That's not America. That's globalism. And I know that that sounds really stupid. But think about what goes into buying the shirts that you wear. Think about what goes into buying the little toys that cost you eight dollars. And then yes, you're going to have the the economists that are that go to the you know government brainwashing institutions, and they're going to say that well, you know, if we didn't give those kids the the extremely dirt poor jobs, then they wouldn't have anything. Really, they wouldn't. They they would just have nothing. So. They wouldn't be able to buy anything, do anything. So when the bankers come in and enslave their country and impoverish their country and sign them on to debt that they can never pay back, which has been documented in Confessions of an Economic Hitman and an American Empire, both by John Perkins, extremely great novels. But this is a oh, – it just makes my head spin. It really does. This is so sick. And if anybody's listening live, I am so sorry for this train wreck that you are listening to. Maybe it makes for good radio. I don't know. All I know is that as soon as Josh comes on in probably 15 or 20 minutes, he might have to save me because this, this is just getting ridiculous. Okay, so here is Judge Napolitano's take on Syria, and I'm going to try to find the president's speech online and listen to as much of it as I can while this is going on. So thank you for tuning in if you're listening live. Um, my recommendation, this is going to be recorded. I would go watch what the president's doing, not to say that I don't like you listening live, but I would go watch what the president's talking about so we can all know together what is going to happen to our nation. And hopefully, which I've got my fingers crossed, legs crossed, hands crossed, whatever, 
that common sense will prevail in this and that we will not go into another war willy-nilly because eventually, people, eventually, war isn't going to just be over there. And I know that that's a very ominous statement, but we have to stop doing this. This foreign policy is not a foreign policy. This is empire. This is conquest. This is destruction. This is not freedom. This is not democracy. Call it what it is. It's tyrannical, out-of-control government empire. So here's what Napolitano says. Enjoy, everybody. Thanks for listening. Do not take military action against Syria. It has the potential to raise all sorts of legal questions if we do this. Judge Andrew Napolitano. Actually, there are no legal questions. Well, no legal questions. This is illegal, isn't it? Yes, it is illegal under international law, and it's illegal under the Constitution. I'll tell you why. Under international law, these are accepted international standards that every civilized country has accepted. You can use military force to attack somebody that's attacked you, or you can use military force to attack someone that's about to attack you. Neither of those apply with respect to Syria. You can use military force to come to the aid of an ally that has been attacked when the ally asks for your assistance. That doesn't apply like to Bush, Syria. Like Bush the first across the, across the line with Saddam in Kuwait. Yes, precisely. And you can use military force to enforce international norms against a government that violated the international norms when authorized to do so by the United Nations. And that hasn't happened here. So under none of the four standard ways to use military force under international law would this aerial assault or troops on the ground, whatever it becomes, if it happens, apply. Domestic law is a little different. We all know that under the War Powers Act, which was enacted in 1973 over President Nixon's veto, the president can start any war he wants any, against anybody he wants for 90 days, and there's nothing the Congress can do about it. Nevertheless, knowing he has this authority, President Obama has asked for specific authorization to do this in order to give him, I would suggest, some political cover. Mm -hmm. Is the War Powers Act constitutional? Can Congress give its war-making power away to the president? Answer, no. Nope, can't do it. Can Congress tell the president how to wage war? Answer, no. Meaning... If the president is unleashed to do whatever he wants in Syria, Congress cannot stop him from putting the 75,000 boots on the ground that Jennifer Griffin just told us General Dempsey said would be necessary. So if they do this, we've committed a war crime. Yes. And what are the sanctions? No judge is going to stop this. No one is going to prosecute the president for this. The American public doesn't want this to happen. Our allies in the region don't want this to happen. Who wants this to happen besides John Kerry mm -hmm. and the president? Tom, so flying around, back to cost real quick. Flying around costs 25 to $40 million a week. Right. Tomahawk missiles cost $1.5 million per. Estimate 160 would have to go in. They estimate 100 million right there. That's 200 million. On day one of the Gulf War, not, I don't know, we, did, we knocked off 288 of them. Wow. So half a billion dollars on day one of that war. It wasn't long ago when they said, we're running out of money, remember? Right. And today they said, we'll figure out a way to pay for we'll it. We'll figure out The Saudis, thankfully, have agreed to pay for it as, as they're sort of treating us as their mercenaries, I suppose. Look, the, the problem is that sometimes the president can get lawless, any president, when he has military equipment at his disposal. No one seems to care about the law here. They just seem to care about politics. 
Congress lets the president start a war. The president doesn't care what international law says. He wants to be vindicated politically for an ill-advised statement he made during the campaign a year ago. If they cross that red line, we'll have to do something about it. You know, it, uh, over the last few days, it, it looks as if they don't have the votes. And interestingly, the word from the Hill is that John Boehner, who says he's for it, he's not out trying to get votes. Often they wheel and deal in Washington to get members to do what leaders want them to do. They give you trade you this, trade you that. Put, that's not happening. Fox News learned early this morning from a member of the Republican leadership that what you say is correct that they are not, quote, whipping, meaning they are not pushing their membership in this way, even though the Speaker himself is in favor of it. Wonderful. Last, the last unofficial count in the House of Representatives, I know we're four or five days shy of the vote, it loses by 20 votes. Judge, thank you. Pleasure. Okay. So, I actually just queued up Obama's speech. And so if you guys are a little bit ahead of me, you might have thought I'm freaking out for no apparent reason. But So we're just going to have to go to um, this other clip from MSNBC that I pulled up today, which was fantastic. Um, my friend Josh will be on here in a little bit to give his take on this member of the journalistic revolution, which I will probably be joining those guys over there. Still be running the We Are Not Cattle show, but um, we'll be joining them from time to time to weigh in on their podcast. Those guys do some great work over there. And um, just a lot of good minds, man. Just a lot of good minds trying to change the way that people perceive government and the way that people perceive the people that are, quote-unquote, in charge of us. So, unfortunately, for the past 20 years, the American public has basically let the reins of government run out of control. And now we're trying to get the reins back, and the people don't know what to do. I've given you a couple of clues, you know, as far as just me being an activist. Go out and protest. You don't need a bunch of people. Go out and do it yourself. I mean, shoot, I did it myself. I got four cop cars. So, and then another thing, write your congressman. Tell your congressman. Email these people. Let them know what you think. They send you a canned response. Call their office and tell them, look, I spent the time to write you a personalized letter don't you dare send me back a canned response. Or guess what? I'm not pressing that button for you next year. They'll call you back, and they'll send you a nice little one back because they do not want to lose that position of power. But who knows what's going to happen now, everybody? Hold on to your britches. We're going to find out. So anyway, here is the MSNBC clip of um, – it's basically uh, – they'll describe the people to you. It's – um. It's uh, two former chiefs of staff, and then you got a former chief of staff with, uh, I think it was the Bush administration, and she talks about how Clinton came around to her and said, look, everything's going to be just peaches, honey. You're doing the right thing. This is right before they went into Iraq. So the same kind of stuff's getting floated around about Syria. So remember, if you do not learn from history, you are doomed to repeat it. Hitler turned east for two reasons. Number one, he turned east because he knew he was betrayed. When his when his guy that took the letter over to England didn't come back, he knew that he was betrayed. So he's like, "All right, well, they got us, man. We got to go. We got to go to Russia." But then he invaded Russia, and he was a little bit out of his mind at this point, obviously by being betrayed by the both the Americans and the British government at that time. And they asked him. They said. 
you know, Hitler did the same thing because his advisors came to him like, look, Hitler did the same thing. He tried to go in late, and I think it was in September. Good gosh, why does everything happen in September? Um, he's like, look, Napoleon tried this thing. didn't work out too well for him. Russia is where empires go to die, kind of like Afghanistan is where, you know, military force goes to die. I mean, the Russians went and died there. Americans went and, you know, basically lost all our shirts there. Didn't get a whole bunch of stuff. Secured a bunch of lithium. Thank God for that, you know. But now we're at a point where we're looking at a failing empire. So what do we do? Well, we got to push back and we got to try to get the reins of government back under control. Get these power-mad, crazed people out of there. Oh, Lindsey Graham said that nukes are going to hit if we don't invade Assad. So, I mean, I, guess, I mean, what in the hell, people? Are we Are we really to that point of humanity where they're just going to – you're going to have politicians come out and say, they're going to nuke South Carolina if we don't invade. And then none of the media covers it. InfoWars covered it, a couple of spot covers, and then Drudge Report picks it up, and of course it goes viral from there. But, I mean, what do we do? I don't know. I'm hoping that people will be able to to give us some, some guidance here on what we can what we can do to turn this ship around. So um, here's the MSNBC clip. You guys enjoy, and I will see you on the backside. And I'm going to watch um, Barack Obama and what he's got to say about this whole serious situation. So thanks for tuning in, everybody. Share the podcast with people you know and you like. If you want people to get involved and be a part of humanity, the collective conscious awakening, send them on. Let's do it. We're talking about how the shadow of Iraq is hovering over the situation in Syria. Still with us is Richard Wolf, the executive editor at MSNBC.com. Joining us, we have Heather Herbert. She's the executive director of the progressive group, the National Security Network, the former State Department speechwriter under President Bill Clinton. We also have Josh Rogan, senior correspondent for national security and politics at Newsweek and the Daily Beast. And Hillary Mann Leverett, a former diplomat and official on Middle East issues under President George W. Bush, now at American University. Um, so, uh, yeah, Heather, I'll start with you. You, um, you know, I sort of set it up there, you know, but before the uh, before the segment. But everybody has Iraq on their minds in some way. The, the experience, the example of Iraq, and I know we can say there are there are a lot of distinctions between what's being proposed here, what's on the table here. But but how much should Iraq be be, be you know part of people's thinking on this? You know. The main difference I would say people should have in mind is that the vote that Congress took on Iraq um, after the 9-11 attack was the culmination of almost a decade of efforts to push us into war with Iraq exactly, by the way, because the 91 war was limited. So in, in Iraq, by the time we get to the place that the American people and the British people are quite rightly thinking about, there had been a lot of groundwork laid and a lot of back and forth in American politics and a lot of, of really landmines laid in American politics, whereas with Syria, what's happening right now is, I'm afraid, just the beginning of what's going to be a much longer story as the U.S. struggles with the chemical weapons, the humanitarian, the regional implications, implications for Israel, implications for Iran's nuclear program. We're going to be, we're going to be having this conversation for, for a decade, and you know, arguably, the question is, what can we get right now? What landmines can we avoid laying for ourselves in the future? Well, and it's, you know, I, I go back and forth, Josh, with, with how to think about this because we have the exa some examples at least
least from the 1990s, of these you know, humanitarian interventions that were limited in scope and that, that you know, bore successful outcomes. Um, I, I wonder, at a, at a basic level, do you, do you think we would not be having this debate? This would not be going to Congress right now. Um, this wouldn't be as contentious as it's become politically if it hadn't been for Iraq. Would we be looking at this much more as like, well, this is an extension of Kosovo, this is an extension of Bosnia, this is just another airstrike for humanitarian purposes? Right. I think in one way we're seeing a return to what we see, what we saw in the Clinton administration is cruise missile diplomacy, right? This is where we use limited military action to achieve short-term limited uh, diplomatic gains without a real uh, sense of what's really going to be happening afterwards. I mean, the b biggest difference between the Iraq War and the Syria War is that the Iraq War, we were proposing an invasion, an occupation, and a rebuilding of a country, which is a gargantuan proposal. Here, President Obama is proposing two days of strikes, right? So there's a scale issue, but there's also an intention issue. Uh, th there's nobody who thinks that President Obama is eager to intervene in Syria, right? He spent the last two and a half years avoiding military intervention in Syria. He feels like he's being dragged into it, and now he's going around the world making a case for a, a limited intervention he's really not a fan of and really doesn't really want to do in his heart of hearts, or at least we're led to believe he's conflicted on it. Uh, so, you know, it's not a model for anything, because what we've seen with President Obama is that he was against the Iraq War. Then when it came to Libya, he decided in that one case we should have a responsibility to protect civilians in need, and so that it was worthy of an intervention. And in this case, he's not even making the argument that we're going in to protect civilians. He's making the argument that we should go in to protect this international norm of uh, prohibition on the use of chemical weapons. So there is no pattern in the mind of Barack Obama. He does these things ad hoc. He takes them case by case. And in a sense, we can't really connect this decision to the other decisions because he's not connecting them. It is strikingly similar to the lead-up to the war in Iraq. I was in the Bush administration, in the Bush White House, dealing also with congressional Democrats and with people, members of the media, with the New York Times, with, with NBC. The herd mentality that took over to buy into the Bush administration's narrative that Saddam Hussein had to have chemical weapons and weapons of mass destruction, he was determined to use them against us, was something unquestioned. I remember going with a key member of the Bush national security team to see President President Clinton, and he putting his arm around her, telling her not only was the intel right, but she was doing the right thing morally. It was not only a mistake, it was based on manufactured evidence. Here, nobody is asking this basic question, except for our friends in Moscow, what if Assad didn't order this? What if this wasn't a Syrian troop chemical attack? What if this was perpetrated by Al-Qaeda-affiliated oppositionists? The consequences here for going into Syria are even more grave than Iraq. Because if we go into Syria and we degrade and we weaken Assad to the extent that Jabhat al-Nusra and the other Al-Qaeda-affiliated oppositionists get away with mass chemical warfare, if that's what happened, and we think they're going to stop there, that's the definition of insanity. When, when you, you know, that's, because I, 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 I've heard people advance that, that, you know. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I was just watching the first part of Obama's speech and it was pretty crazy. He basically says that nobody disputes that chemical weapons were used. So, doesn't accuse, but once again, nobody disputes that chemical weapons were used. Well, no shit, dumbass. We've been saying that for days. And I'm not meaning to call the president a dumbass. His speechwriters are just smart, and they're just using nebulous terms. So I'm only halfway through it. So I have no idea how this how the book ends, how the story ends. I have no idea. So I, I'm I'm at a loss. But that MSNBC clip is really what we're talking about. Nobody's asking this question like, 
Couldn't it be the Al-Qaeda rebels? Oh, at the very beginning, he talks about it. It was just, for two years, it's been peaceful protesters. <laughs> these guys are crazy, everybody. I'm sorry to say it, but these guys are crazy. And they're probably going to drag us into war again. So, um, yeah, who knows? Who knows? This is kind of interesting. So... I think I just saw my friend Josh log on, and and I've got, um, like I said, I've got that Richard Gage interview for the last 40 minutes, and I want to get Josh's take on um, on the uh, Obama speech. This might be the weirdest podcast ever. Here he is right now. So um, I'm going to go ahead and pull him up. Josh, you are on the air live with the car crash. How you doing, man? Oh, how's it going, guys? Dude, I am losing my mind right now. This is absolutely, in case you missed it, in the first 30 minutes of the show, I think I probably lost half the audience because I just went absolutely ape. I watched Bill O'Reilly sit there and grill Stossel about um, about how America is now becoming an isolationist nation and how we don't want to get involved in foreign entanglements. And then he tries to draw a parallel between Assad and Adolf Hitler Talking about how well the Americans were all isolationists when Hitler started going, and we just stood on the sidelines and did nothing. And 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 he literally said this, Josh. Now correct me if I'm wrong, but he said Assad used chemical weapons. Assad used chemical weapons. It's the same propaganda we saw right before Iraq: weapons of mass destruction, weapons of mass destruction, weapons of mass destruction. Did I miss something in my one day of work that and and nobody in any media outlet covered it? Did Assad just come out and say that he used the chemical weapons? Where is he getting this intel from? Yeah, it's uh it's completely ridiculous, but I mean it's uh it it's station wide. It's not just uh it's just, it's not just Fox News channel, you know. I uh occasionally scan the propaganda channels just to uh see what they're saying so I know how to interact with uh people Still trapped in the matrix a little bit better, um, but th- there is absolutely no acknowledgement or even uh, questioning on the part of uh, of hosts primarily uh, of the official story of of what happened in Syria. Uh, and obviously, I have not heard the the, the name uh, Al Nusra mentioned at all. So, oh no no no, although- Al Nusra was mentioned on that last clip that we had because one girl was actually bringing logic and like this is. They're like, this isn't like Iraq at all. You know, they have the two, the very first two pundits, which, and then you have the guy from the Daily Beast, which is like a White House, you know, front. And so <laughs> you've got him on there going, well, this is completely different. This is not any, he's asking for just like what Clinton did for strategic missile strikes in certain areas. And, and then the girl at the end, and I'm going to get her name here in a second, um, as soon as I play the next part of the clip. Basically comes out and says, "No, this is exactly like Iraq. Like, what are you guys talking about?" Because she worked for the Clinton administration or the Bush administration, I guess. When they and sorry guys, if I'm getting all this stuff conflated, my mind's going like three thousand miles a minute because I was trying to watch the White House speech and get all this stuff together. But um, she's sitting there saying that you know, no, this is exactly like that. And she even mentioned Al Nusra. She's like, "What happens if all these chemical weapons? What happens if we weaken Assad and then?" Al Nusra, part of Al Qaeda, gets all these chemical weapons. Then what? Which may be what the globalists want. Who knows? Maybe they want to take out Assad. I mean, we've already given them a bunch of heat-seeking missiles and stuff from over in Benghazi. 
So why not just arm the jihadis completely, and then, hey, maybe we'll fly U.S. C-130s over there to pick them up and then bring them back to America to start terror attacks here. Who knows? But this is well, absolutely insane, dude. Insane. Absolutely. But that's 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 what's kind of uh, unsettling about this entire serious situation. Well, one of many things that's very unsettling about it is that it's a very different model uh, from from typical Middle Eastern takeovers. Uh, you know, they, they're not as fallible to the IMF as, as they used to be. Uh, so this uh, this air support and subversion are the two tactics that are most commonly used. But in most examples, we see just overt carpet bombing that the American people may or may not know about, like we are seeing in a lot of Pakistan and we saw in Libya after the fall of Gaddafi. And, and we were certain, certainly arming um, certain rebel groups within Libya uh, and, and providing financial support to, to destabilize what was left of that regime. Um, but that being said, most of our support was fairly overtly uh, uh, military action, uh, whereas if, uh, if Syria is, is not essentially wiped up, uh, because that's really uh what what the pentagon wants when they want to carpet bomb the country they want a clean slate is what they want on both sides mm -hmm. um so so we're we're probably going to see syria unfold much like we uh much like we saw with afghanistan in, in the late 80s i agree man it just it just makes me so sick to my stomach just sitting there watching people just pushing this war propaganda and then they, they act like that they're the tough guys. You know, like, this is America being tough. No, dude, that's America killing people. Like, we don't even have all the facts. And you just want us to go over there and bomb people just because you guys say that he did it? Oh, and by the way, I've got the article pulled up that I was talking about before, uh, earlier in the podcast. And this is from McClatchy. It says, intercepts caught Assad rejects, rejecting requests to use chemical weapons, German paper says. And I'll read you the first two paragraphs, Josh, but this is stuff for you that I talked about on the last, on the last uh, podcast. It mm -hmm. says, Syrian President Bashir al-Assad has repeatedly rejected requests from his field commanders for approval to use chemical weapons, according to this report from the week, weekend in the German newspaper. The report is um, Bilm al-Song, which is a widely read and influential National Sunday newspaper, reported that the head of the agency of German foreign intelligence, um, Gynard Schellard, excuse me, I just butchered that, last <laughs> week told a secret group of German lawmakers that the intercepted communications had convinced German intelligence officials that Assad did not order or approve what is believed to be sarin gas attacks on August 24th, that or August 21st that killed hundreds of people in the Damascus eastern suburbs. So remember what I covered on the last podcast it's like the American public has uh, the American people basically drew or excuse me the American establishment drew on a on a napkin a picture of the country Syria and then drew some like smoking chemicals coming out of it and said here's our proof and then you have the the German and Russian intelligence both saying that they've got a 100-page report saying that the July attacks were sarin gas perpetrated by the rebels. So what would make us believe that these August attacks wouldn't be something along the same lines because they've been caught doing it over and over again? So what is what's the grand scheme here? What's the grand chessboard, man? I mean, you've read Brzezinski's work. You've read all these people's work. You understand this kind of stuff to a degree that it's above my pay scale. 
What is the grand strategy here? Are they really just trying to get a foothold into Syria so they can poke at Iran and say, well, I mean, maybe that's what the nuke is for. I, I don't I don't know, man. Maybe that's what Lindsey Graham's talking about, the nuke. It's like, oh, if we don't invade Syria, the nuke's going to hit it in, in, in Charlotte or whatever the hell he said. Yeah. And then it's like – and maybe it's the fact that if we get involved in Syria, then they can have a nuke go off here in the United States. God forbid. This is so crazy that I, can, I even have to talk like this. A nuke go yeah. off in the United States, and then they can blame it on Iran. See, see Iran has nuclear weapons. We've got to invade there too. And then, of course, oh. Russia and 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 yeah. oh my God, I just want to put my head in the sand again. Can I take the <laughs> can I take the blue pill, anybody? Oh man, Un- unfortunately, uh, once once your eyes are open, it's it's pretty hard to close them, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's it's yeah, and and I was getting I was getting physically angry at what O'Reilly was doing, and maybe that's just because I haven't been watching. The propaganda, the warmongering, and the war pushing, and the war profiteers coming out of the woodwork pushing this stuff. I mean, yeah, it's, I, it's I, definitely I, it's a good way to raise your blood pressure. But get, getting back to your original point about, I guess, the geo strategy of it all, uh, I really, I there are so many moving parts right now. Uh, I agree. And, cer- and certainly the 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 initial false flag uh, has, has turned out to be a complete and utter failure, not only in America, which it, which is rare, uh, but but and the. <laughs> In the global community at large, so it's there, there's so much speculation and doubt even within uh, your average propagandized American, uh, all over the place, you know. And and each one of these events subsequently turns more people towards alternative media and out of uh, the this this corporate uh, corporatist media structure that really serves as nothing more than uh, than uh, than a privatized mouthpiece for the administration at the time. Um, but there's a lot of reasons why Syria is so important. Uh, the Sunni land bridge from Lebanon to the Mediterranean, which mm-hmm. is a supply line for Hezbollah, is very important. Uh, yeah. The planned Iran-Iraq-Syria pipeline that would cut Turkey out of the equation for delivering yep. uh, natural liquefied natural gas to Western Europe uh, and, and China is, is a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why China's that's, bowing up on this stuff, too, because they understand what's going on. The American... The American Empire is um, is in the. I feel like we're in the death throes of the empire, man. I Absolutely. really do. I feel I, like I feel like we're Rome at the end of it, where it's just like go out and battle everybody and just screw it, and we're you know we're gonna we're gonna win because we're Romans, and it's like wait a minute, what are we doing here? We're spreading ourselves thin. This isn't gonna work. Anyway, I think I really think that the most important thing to 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 think about when you're analyzing what's happening in Syria and how fervently. Uh, we're pushing for military intervention in any way, shape, or form possible right now. Uh, is is noting how uh, utterly chaotic the Federal Reserve is right now. Uh, I mean, if anyone is, has kept, and that's part that's part of uh, what this is about, is is a distraction, quite frankly. From yeah, we're going to raise United interest States rates. We're not going to raise them. We're going to raise them. We're not going to raise them. We're going to raise them. We're, we're not going to raise them. We're not going to. Even talking about the tapering of, of, of quantitative easing, you know, these, oh, yeah. these people. These people were planning on this expansionism uh, in the in the purest of Keynesian senses to to as a temporary boost to the economy, much like they did after September the 11th. Uh, mm-hmm. The only difference is uh, it's it's not going off without a hitch this time um, mm-hmm. because there's too much there's too much organized opposition here at home, you know, as there should be. It's been 12 fucking years now. Uh, the these the American people uh, to a certain extent have uh, have awakened and and to our credit. 
uh, now people like the big new Brzezinski uh, talk talk a lot about how uh, the the global political awakening and mentioning by name the alternative media, saying mm. that these kind of sites are are hindering our ability to for for uh, for a hegemonic super, uh, rule of a superpower in in the Middle East, quite frankly. And then in so, his books, he yeah, and then in his books, even in his own words, this is what this is what really makes me panic and. I guess knowledge is like uh, crippling to some degree, you know. And he, even in his books, and you, you've read them, and where he talks about how no country is really ready to step up and take the reins of the American Empire. Nobody has a strong enough currency. Nobody has enough, you know, enough of the um, uh, what is it called um, annualized income for each individual. You know, China doesn't have that. India does, sure as hell doesn't have that. Japan doesn't have a strong enough currency. Nobody's really ready to step up. So what's going to happen is basically everything hinders on the American empire, and if the American empire collapses, and I don't think that people really get this, guys, if America falls, the world falls. And if that happens, that's some crazy shit. Not just like, oh, we're going to have to eat some sorable food for three months, like real crazy shit. So anyway, because once you have people starving in the streets and stuff like that, that's when stuff gets really, really nasty. Because then then governments are basically – they're going to radicalize because those are the only people that are going to be able to garner support or the people that are going to go with a radical sentiment, much like what happened, um, as you well know, in, in Nazi Germany. Those were – they were the radical sects. They were – they never even got a majority. I mean they only got like 33 – Hitler only got like 30 percent of the vote when he won election, but – that's what's going to happen. If you have an impoverished country, the radical sects are going to rise, and those are the people that are going to get into power. And that's why I always push for resolving this stuff peacefully, resolving this stuff through government, through protest, trying to go through the proper channels. But if we don't get this thing right really soon, we're all in big, big trouble. And I don't know what uh, to do, man. I don't know. And I, you know, in all honesty, Jake, the part that scares me the most is that uh, the death throes of the American Empire uh, could certainly spell global uh, financial global. and and mm -hmm. cultural chaos. Really. Mm -hmm. uh, that being said, there are certainly countries that are making contingency plans, and as things start to get worse and the petrodollar uh, start starts to implode upon itself, and and the world reserve currency uh, of the dollar is no longer economically viable. Um, I, I think that a lot of countries, even ones that that have long since been long-standing quote-unquote allies of of NATO and the American Empire, are going to start to really think about what they're doing. And and certainly, uh, this this kind of catalyzing event will will affect everyone, regardless of how prepared uh, the countries and their citizenry are. But ultimately, the, uh, the group that's going to suffer the most is, is certainly the American people. Um, mm -hmm. And and hypothetically, you know, every other country on Earth could save itself. Uh, hypothetically speaking, you know, I, I I highly doubt that that would be the case. Um, but they, now, they, they still, could, they they still could, have a chance. I mean, they could they could pull out. I guess they could pull out of the petrodollar, start printing their own currency, trading with each other in in different currencies, and not having to rely on the U.S. dollar. Is that where you're? Is that one of the ways that they could kind of bail themselves out? Well, they they would also have to essentially remechanize themselves, uh, not sure. not necessarily for war, but but in a production sense, they couldn't be a service based economy, and they couldn't be an import based economy, at least in the initial stages of restructuring. Obviously, that infrastructure can't be erected fast enough to to avoid what's coming, at least in my opinion. 
Um, and that's and that's why you believe that the United States empire would just fall so fast is because we've been deindustrialized. We have no real industrial centers anymore and that well, we are a service-based economy. Absolutely. And I mean this this is all of course been planned, but I, I think the mentality is very is very interesting as well. Like if you look at if you look in China and Russia, um there are essentially bomb shelters for the public everywhere. Oh yeah. Uh, Oh, Switzerland's you know, got Japan for three most, years for their entire public. Yeah, this is exactly and then most America's like we're going to stockpile bullets, we're going to stockpile food. Hey, everything's fine, guys. You don't need storable food. Oh, by the way, we need you to register your firearms. Like, what? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Other other countries are preparing for this contingency by by helping their populace through it to a certain extent, uh, mostly because. It's also it's also important for these ruling oligarchs oligarchs to keep their power uh, to keep their citizens from violently uh, you know literally dragging people out into the streets and beheading them when when all this comes to pass because obviously uh, an angered humanity is going to be one that 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 wants justice whether blind or not uh, we saw that yeah, in the but French if you're well the enough. Obama administration those are just peaceful protesters that have been there for two years you know chopping people's heads off and eating Christians' hearts those are just peaceful protesters. We have to help them overthrow an evil government, Josh. Get on the winning team. Come oh, in my for goodness. the big win. Come I, in for I, the big I, win with the New World Order. Let's do it. I Unfortunately, I, I don't think I'll be joining them. But, you know, it's it's just it's so hypocritical. Obviously, I don't think many Americans at all support any kind of unilateral action of any kind in Syria. Uh, but... The fact that there are still people that that are uh, that are on the Obama train and have drank the Kool Aid, uh, it, it's it's like do you, do your hearts do your bleeding hearts go out for the the 500 North Koreans that die a month? You know, mm-hmm. like children 500 yeah, North Korean children Kim that Jong-un die a month. Kim Jong Un doesn't like the way that you play music. He's just going to line you up and shoot you. But then Dennis Rodman goes over there and says he's his buddy. So. Exactly, and they eat, they eat children not ripping their hearts out for, for theatric effect. They eat kids because they have to to survive in many parts of that country. So yeah. it's like, but, but you're not going to carpet bomb them tomorrow with peace. So. Oh, absolutely not. And then they talk about it on these little talk shows and stuff. Like it's, um, no, we're doing just, you know, when we did the liberation of Libya, I'm like, this is, this is not liberation, guys. This is takeover stuff. I'm like, yeah, we go, but that's new We that's go new bomb speak. the hell out of their country, leave it complete disarray, and say, "There's democracy." Later, <laughs> we sold some weapons. All right, so what's next? All right, let's yeah. blow these guys up. It's the it's the complete redefinition of uh, redefining of terms. You know, uh, it, it's literally newspeak. You know, there's a reason why the Ministry of Truth is uh, is the BBC. You know, quite 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 obviously in in Orwell's 1984. Um, yeah, so so when they say liberation, obviously that's code word code word for subversion. You know, so many so many of our words have changed definition. You know, like tolerance used to be something that you would tacitly accept, and now tolerance is uh, is supposedly uh, the the great the great equalizer emotionally of mankind, which is uh, you know, and we we can see these patterns repeated and, and repeated. But ultimately, what it does is uh, it create cognitive dissonance. So when you hear the word liberation and you identify it with bombs. Uh, that that is confusing on a subconscious level because those two things do not obviously coincide. Um, and that's why people and that's why people check out and just say, okay, whatever, okay, whatever. Exactly. I got my TV. Yeah, because they exactly. can't they can't make sense of it. The the right the vernaculars change, the verbiage has changed, and like you said, the definitions of these words are changing, and they're and they're being misconstrued to the public. 
so that the public doesn't really know what's going on. And that's why that's why they treat you like children, everybody. And people – all right, eliminate the first 30 minutes of this prod, podcast where I absolutely lost my shit, and I do apologize. I said an F-bomb within seven minutes of going on air, which is typically not my style, but I was about to lose my mind. Take uh, the don't, last – I would it. say – no, I would say that take the last 20 minutes of when Josh actually got on air and we're having this conversation. Send this part to people that you know and people that are still stuck in the matrix and maybe they'll understand what we're talking about. Because this is not like happy fun time, everybody, in case you realize this. I, I literally went into my bedroom and I looked at my wife and I said, I think they're going to take us to war. O'Reilly's giving right cover. I'm seeing right cover from everybody. When, you know, Rand Paul said today that we don't really need to have a vote because I think that we're gonna, you know, we're gonna come to a resolution that Syria is just gonna give their weapons over to um, to Russia and everything's gonna be peaches and they've both agreed. I don't think that's what's gonna happen at all. And I haven't even watched the end of Obama's speech, so I could be talking out of my ass here. But you know, anybody that I've talked to said I ask him, uh, what do you what do you think will happen if if they go and say, "All right, we gave all of our, you know, chemical weapons to the UN and we, or we gave all our chemical weapons to Russia." I think what would happen is that we would probably sneak some kind of chemical weapon in there, we meaning not the United States, we meaning the military industrial complex, which has actually taken over our country, which Eisenhower warned us about many, many years ago, but the American public didn't pay attention, and then they were mass propagandized by all that money. And and so I think that they might stage another chemical attack and be like, look, see, can't be trusted. we got to go get them. They are the bad guys. I mean, you know, what do you uh, think? I, I envision almost exactly that scenario um, with, with one, I guess, small addendum, and that being that they wouldn't screw up this time in the sense that uh, they would allow the, the, the American public any kind of leeway in terms of uh, – um, information gathering on the subject i think the uh the initial attack would would uh coincide very briefly after the announcement uh that the chemical weapons had gone off which which is the which is the scarier part um that now that being said uh uh if if the bankers truly do need their war uh and and the american economy truly is in in such un, un, in such dire circumstances right this second uh, th then that's the scenario that I would most likely envision. Uh, if if they have a little bit more time, then potentially a, a, an Iraq-like scenario uh, where we have uh, small intermittent bombing campaigns, uh, really without uh, the, the knowledge of the American public to a large extent. You know, nobody remembers Operation Desert Fox, for example. Mm -hmm. um, but they remember and, Desert and then Storm come and later. Desert Shield. Yeah, they remember those. Yeah, exactly. I, I, exactly. It's just so sick. And then O'Reilly was talking about this as well. I don't know if you've heard these talking points either. He's like, well, you see that Assad is starting to align himself with Iran and Hezbollah. You know, that could become a formidable. It's like they're trying to. It's like they're trying to play like football teams with the American Cartoon public. Cartoon politics. Like, yeah, that's exactly. That's a perfect way to put it. Cartoon politics. Uh, that's exactly what it is. It's uh, it's it's good and evil, and the bad guy has on this silly looking outfit, and uh, so does the good guy. But uh, he he punches the shit out of the villain, and everybody feels better. Yeah, it's uh, it's childish, really. If you, if you <laughs> but believe it's any so of funny that you even said that, because O'Reilly said, "Listen, there's bad guys over there in the Middle East. We let's can we agree on it that there's bad guys over there?" I'm like, 
and and in the in the moments that I lost my you know what, and I think that gosh maybe this is, maybe this has been programmed for a long time in my head because it's like it's like we're GI Joe and they're Cobra and remember how you can never see Cobra's face but you always know Cobra's the bad guy right so it's oh, like there's, they there's obviously a reason for that the faceless yeah. enemy you know that's a, that's a it's a very old tactic of war and propaganda. I agree, but then, you know, you have this. Now, here, break down what you and I were talking about the other night about the Call of Duty 4 stuff. So, everybody, we're going to go down the rabbit hole for a little bit. So, grab your backpack, grab your Spelunkin helmet. We're going to go down the rabbit hole just a wee bit here. Now, Call of Duty 4, you were talking to me about that earlier, and we did a, um, a um, what do you want to call that? I guess the uh, We Are Not Cattle post-show interview? I, I don't know what it's called. But basically, <laughs> yeah, it's where Josh and I just, that's for sure. Yeah, it's where Josh and I get there, and we get into um, a little bit further down the rabbit hole than just your your main geopolitical establishment trying to break through the propaganda, get people a, a little semblance of the truth. Because, and I don't want to say that the truth is out there and it's so deep and dark that you don't need to go look for it, but when you go way down the rabbit hole, you you lose sleep. And I'll just be honest with you, I lost sleep a couple of nights, and then when you see stuff being thrown in front of you, like ancient Babylonian symbology and ancient Egyptian mythology thrown in your face by a bunch of people. Like, uh, I think that our first, um, one of our first episodes of our um, decoding propaganda should be um, should be the new Miley Cyrus video and just show all of her Illuminati. I mean, I, dude, I watched it for 30 seconds. I saw Illuminati symbology all over the place. And so, yeah, that's we're going to go a little bit down that rabbit hole here with Josh. So Call of Duty 4, man, I've played the game before, and I remember it, but I didn't remember it as clearly as you did. So why don't you break it down for the people really quick? Well, yeah, I, I would say, first of all, in this instance, it's more uh, predictive programming uh, than, than than symbolic representation, like like we're oh, so used yeah. to seeing in, in, in movies and video games, or movies mm-hmm. and music videos, excuse me. But I do want to preface this uh, by just giving a, just a little bit of a brief history uh, on, on the connection between uh, the Defense Department propaganda and, and, and gaming specifically, because we hear a lot about Hollywood being connected to these things, but uh, mm-hmm. the game industry also has a long history uh, of using military technology and and being uh, given military technology by various governments, you know, including uh, the Russians to use Suzuki to create a bunch of Dreamcast games, uh, mm-hmm. or, or or the ties between Atari and the Defense Department after the development of battle tanks. Uh, obviously, right. in in the late '90s, we see uh, I forget the exact name of the series. Um, it was essentially a first-person shooter developed by the army. No, it was uh, so called the Col- Army. It was no, it was called Army, and it was like the best first-person shooter game I've ever seen. And the army gave it out for free. Yeah, and it's that like, wow, this game's free. awesome. It's like, how much is it? Oh, it's free. The army's giving it out. I'm like, ooh, that's. But it was really like instinctive shooting training for for oh. their cadets. Absolutely, and and obviously, you know, uh, every time you you watch. Uh, some kind of CSI-esque version of uh, of the Middle East. You know, there's always that scene where the good guy kicks in the door of the training the terrorist training compound, and they're all playing um, Counter Strike. You know, but mm-hmm. uh, because you know this stuff does work as training software to a certain extent. Uh, desensitizing it teaches you basic mechanics of aim, um, and, and certainly getting you used to the perspective because they're getting very good at replicating what it looks like to the eye when you actually do look down the barrel of a gun. If you're, mm-hmm. if you're if if you've ever shot one and, and you've played these games. Um, but but ultimately, uh, the, the point is that these 
uh, the privately developed games uh, have always been more fun than anything that the Army could could put out. At least now we've gotten to this point. So uh, they they've started to certainly incorporate a lot of predictive programming as well as as training. And Call of Duty 4 is such an interesting example. I actually went back and replayed it begrudgingly uh, a, a couple weeks ago, or at least parts of it, and looked up some videos of of, of the latter half. Um, because the name and, and the scenario involved an unnamed Middle Eastern country with, uh, with a, uh, a terrorist dictator named al-Assad, which obviously uh, rung off some bells. And um, the, the plot takes place, again, in a, an unnamed Middle Eastern country, although when you, when you look at the, uh, the loading screen, it clearly zeroes in on Syria. Yeah. Um, and the, the, you start off the game as, as an American uh, uh, marine, and your that half of the campaign ends when you enter the capital city and a nuclear weapon goes off uh and 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 kills your character so then the british uh SAS are forced to covertly enter russia uh to stop another uh launch by uh by this same dictator who has escaped to uh to to russia and and parts of and and the other parts of the campaign take place in chechnya i believe Mm-hmm. Which is interesting in and of itself, based on the chess oh, yeah. connection. Oh yeah, you know, the anyone... freaking Al Qaeda trainees get trained. Yeah, whatever. Exactly. So, <laughs> so <laughs> being informed is so crazy. Oh god, the world is so crazy. All right, go ahead. Yeah, but 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 it's certainly an example of of these cartoon politics at play. It's reinforced not only when we watch the news, but but in games. And obviously, any more games are not just for children. They're or little children. They're for big children as well. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it's it's reinforced everywhere. Um, but obvi- the game ends uh, with with your uh, British troops heroically saving America from a Russian nuclear strike, um, mm. and and all all of this predictive programming with, uh, with with nuclear weapons and preparing people for a ground war against an Al Assad, um, and obviously making it very theatrical and emotional as well, um, is terrifying <laughs> especially when the when the predictive programming matches uh uh somewhat of what's unfolding so accurately mm-hmm. yeah and you know be on i guess be on guard everyone if you're i don't know i don't know what to what to tell you because if anybody thinks that we're just blowing smoke no i'm i'm very sorry but the government has tried for many many years to manipulate you and to basically grant consent without you knowing it by propagandizing you. I mean, look at Operation Mockingbird. What was that, back in the 50s, where they were trying to figure out ways for the television set, the old box television sets, to spy on the American people by fitting them with little with little teeny tiny cameras? So this oh, Mo- Mo- a- Mockingbird, I, I would say Mockingbird is far more than, than just that program. You know, we saw oh, the search just... committee, which is in the in, in the 70s. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I forget ex- exactly what representative from the CIA was there. Well, I believe it, it might have been uh, the head at the time who was, uh, was that uh, Woolsey? Mm, that sounds right. That sounds right. Or is that post uh, or pre Woolsey era? Anyways, uh, a representative from the CIA, when being questioned by the church committee, uh, it was directly asked the question: What's up with this Mockingbird deal? How how much control over television, media, news do you have? And he said, you know, it's uh, I can't I can't give you those figures, but we certainly have uh, plants in 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 many places in in what Americans would consider public media. Um, or private media, excuse me, which is, and, and you know, 
it's and this was this was in the seventies, and supposedly uh, this program was was ceased. Um, under none other than George H. W. Bush's tenure uh, over the Oh yeah, of course. So, so take that for what it's worth, America. Good God! I mean, how did we elect a CIA chief as the president of our United States? And everybody thought it was a great idea. Well, like, uh, well, was, even even the... Ronald Reagan thought it was a horrible idea at the time, uh, and uh, and he decided he might actually be a bit of a governor, and then he got shot at. So. Um... Changed his tune pretty quickly by by a, by a friend of the Bush family, none, nonetheless. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh huh. Yeah, everything everything's fine. America, go back to sleep. But the, that that John Hinckley, he was just some random crazy guy off the street, you know. Yeah, that did, that didn't have dinner with him the night before. No, 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 that was uh, the nine eleven stuff. So, all right. So anyway, transitioning um, into speaking of which, tomorrow is the twelfth anniversary of the day that the towers fell. And I say towers because, remember, three towers fell. And that's why I was so hyped about getting Ben Swan on tonight because he just released a video today, I everybody. saw that. And go watch it about 9-11 Truth. So as soon as I get him rescheduled, that will definitely be one of my questions because I was sitting there in awe because it's not like and – I, and I know this sounds really weird, everybody, but when people that are out of the limelight that – that really don't have a lot to lose, like myself and Josh. Not to say that we're not, you know, credible sources, but we're not household names. You know, Ben Swan made a name for himself by pushing against the envelope, asking Obama about the kill list on record. That is some balls. And then he comes out and and gives the whole 9/11 Commission. And and like I told the the audience, we got about ten more minutes here, Josh, because then I'm gonna I'm gonna leave the um, the balance of the show to the interview. Um, in honor of the people that died on 9-11, I'm going to do, and uh, I already have my recorded interview that I did with Richard Gage, the head of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth, breaking down all the loopholes, excuse me, all of the holes in the actual in the actual testimony by the 9-11, or excuse me, the, the official narrative of the 9-11 Commission. So let's talk about that, man. Where were you on 9-11? I always like to ask people this. Oh my goodness. Uh I was in the 4th grade at the time and I remember being incredibly angry uh, and confused uh, because I didn't understand why the destruction of some buildings in New York uh, affected uh my soccer game being canceled. Quite frankly, I still believe that to this day. Um but uh that that being said, I did I did notice strange things. Uh you know, obviously the, the staff was very uncomfortable. I, I'd like to consider myself a perceptive person even even at a young age. Uh the the television sets were off throughout the school. Uh, which is interesting in and of itself, because when I talk to my parents about uh, correlatory events, uh, it, now that I've become older and I ask them about the Kennedy assassination, uh, school was canceled universally. I know a lot of a lot of kids were called home from school, but mine personally was not was not canceled. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and and during the Kennedy assassination, I remember that uh, my my dad and my mom told me similar stories about how uh, they they teachers individually called off school and told their children. Uh, of all ages to 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 go home to their parents and find somewhere with a television set so they could be informed obviously uh they they got the cover story from the television set but there was still uh uh, uh ne- not necessarily this uh this cultural protectionism of children uh from from horrible world events that nonetheless have great impact on their lives you know keeping keeping them in dark to a certain extent i think far more interesting obviously because i was so young at the time 
is uh, is is I guess my 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 awakening, which came uh, largely at the hands of of Richard Andrew Grove and Michael Rupert. If, if no one has seen uh, Mike Mike Rupert's excellent excellent lecture, which took place in November of 2000 uh, or 2001, uh, very briefly after the attacks, uh, entitled um, oh, oh what was that lecture at Portland State University, um, the Truth and Lies of 9/11. Um, which is which is fascinating, and and that that story was only compounded after I started to research some of some of the names, uh, means, and motive. Uh, asking the proper questions about 9/11 brought me uh, along to the work of Richard Andrew Grove. And if if no one's ever heard uh, his excellent work called Project Constellation, um, which is his account as a whistleblower working for a software company that dealt with Martian McLennan and AIG. Um, uh, really cataloging not only the fact that insider trading was quantifiably used and the fact that, that many of his friends uh, met their end that day uh, in, in a meeting that he was unfortunately late to and the CEO of Marshall McLennan had an emergency dentist appointment to, to attend at the time, uh, coincidentally. Uh, but he, he really goes into to, to naming names, naming the names of companies, uh, and and tracing the lineage of this kind of stuff, and I think that while it's really important to talk about stuff like Building Seven, uh, to talk about mm-hmm. the class of the towers as a tool for 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 getting people to ask questions and stimulating mm-hmm. intellectual debate and discussion, ultimately uh, that uh, crime scene is gone. It's vanished. Uh, so yeah. much of the fr- all of the forensic evidence is gone, and most of the forensic evidence that could have been used to analyze the financial crimes is also gone because obviously the, there was a German company that was uh, paid to analyze all of these hard hard disks, and they managed to recover almost 98% of the ones that 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 were intact. And obviously, right after that, um, I believe it was AIG who purchased them and dismantled uh, that company. Oh. Obviously obviously never allowing this this kind of stuff to surface. So ultimately the names of these people, their familial connections and um and and some of the insider trades and the and the the people who who made them and knew about them ahead of time, the CEOs of these companies and the histories of their families. That's the only tangible evidence we ever have to present. Uh so if if 911 truth truly is about getting justice for what happened because we can't change it. Uh, mm-hmm. We can't change. We can't even change many of the the horrible things that have unfolded as as a result of it. Uh, we can only stop it and and put to justice the people that actually did it. And we do have names and uh, of companies and individuals that 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 certainly help to carry this out. So I think people need to start uh, doing more digging in that in that realm if they haven't already. Yeah, absolutely. And it just it makes me sad. It really does because I think about what I went through on that day. You know, I was actually. I was in my eight o'clock um, class actually in college, just not to give everybody a, an age disparity between myself and Josh. But there you go, and then you'll you'll have it. Um, and I remember my professor saying that we shouldn't even be here right now. I'm like, what are you talking about? I like, just just teach economics, dude. What are we doing? So we got done with economics, and I got home. And my girlfriend at the time was just in tears, and she's like, we've been attacked. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Nobody's dumb enough to attack America. What are you talking about? So I was just in time to see the second plane hit, and all we did was like just – we just basically sat there on the couch, and and we're just terrified. And that's – and I've never felt I'll, – I'll never forget this feeling. I've never felt so naked in my entire life because you, you living in America, you never feel that – terroristic activity or anything like that will ever hit here. Once again, we've talked about this before at length on the podcast, that it's 
you know, we're so isolated from everybody else. You know, who's going to come and get us? Mexico? Yeah, okay. Unless they come get us with the guns that we ship to them, it's probably not going to happen. Or, you know, Canada's, you know, they're too, they're too peace-loving people to come down here and get us unless the Queen orders them to do so. So, you know, it was just a very eye-opening experience for me in the fact that, um, that, that America could be vulnerable. And yet, I was on the bandwagon that we need to go get the radical jihadis that did this. And I woke up for the first time after watching um, Zeitgeist, and that woke me up to the Federal Reserve System. And then I started researching 9-11 Truth. I remember getting in a heated discussion with my brother about 9-11 Truth because um, his ego couldn't handle the fact that, that the government could lie to him. Because it's so America. Always, Remember, America can America can do no wrong. The American government won't lie to you, even though they're made are, up of politici- politicians just like always, every other. Go ahead. Exactly. Oh, I was just going to say, those are always revealing conversations, aren't they? Uh, when you tell close friends and family exactly what you believe on the matter. Um, I, I, I'll still, I'll never forget when uh, when I told my dad, um, and he screamed at me. <laughs> Uh, being well, my brother's reaction was similar, and just to save face because he's a, he's a great dude, I won't even tell you what he said to me. That's kind of private, but something well, along well, those lines. Screaming well, was involved. We'll put it that it, way. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But it it always is in 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 a lot of these because you're you're but, challenging their belief system and you're challenging what the official narrative is, and that's just not acceptable in the United States of slavery. It's not. Absolutely. No, it's not It's not at all, but I, I was I was lucky enough and thankful. Thankfully, my, my dad, despite being a, a, a neoconservative, his, most of, for most of his adult life, uh, was actually at least uh, open enough to the prospect, or at least uh, had enough respect for me intellectually uh, to sit down and verify some of these sources, and I, I showed him... Uh, Actually, the architects and engineers for 9/11 Truth presentation by Richard Gage in, in California, mm-hmm. who you and I have both have had the pleasure of of, of meeting and interviewing. Um, so, I, and obviously after that, he uh, he had a, a more full blown awakening process uh, because mm-hmm. uh, that once once the evidence is really examined by any mind that thinks even somewhat critically, uh, there are questions raised, uh, sig- yeah, significant it- questions if, if you're if you're being honest with yourself. Yeah, and now I was about to get to that. It's actually, I think that the big key is detaching yourself from the stars and stripes. And that, and what I mean by that, it really is because we do have a great history as a nation. We have an incredible history. I mean, look at what we've done. We broke away from the largest empire in the entire world and formed our own society over freedom and prosperity and rule of law and trying to get everybody to not pay property taxes, which we all do, to not pay an income tax, which we all do. So basically, we fought for a system, and this is where the American public gets it skewed, and I'm not meaning to call you guys out. The majority of the people that defend America, you're defending communism, okay? When you defend a central bank, that's part of communism. When you defend um, property taxes, that's part of communism. When you defend all these other little nitpicky things, these social programs and stuff like that, you're basically defending socialism. So America in itself, you know, when it was created in its foundation, what it was supposed to be, remember the Federalist Papers and going back to – Did I drop me or something? Oh, no, 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 sorry. You're, you're good. I was getting, I was getting, I was getting major, I was getting major reverb. reverb. Sorry. Sorry. Anyway. Anyway. 
So, um, so, here, um, let me play this clip for you, Josh, really Josh quick, and then we'll, um, I'll play, I'll play the Richard Gage interview at the end, but, um, I want to play the Bill Cooper predicts 9-11. Have you heard this? Oh, oh yeah, uh, well, of course I have. That, that, that's a classic. Um, <laughs> and obviously he met, he met his end very shortly after, but. Uh, it was two months afterwards. Um, after, after 9-11 went down, he actually predicted this two months before 9-11, and then two months afterwards, the sheriff's department came out and paid him a little visit and ended up shooting him in his own driveway. They said that he pulled a gun, but give me a break. <laughs> All right, here's the clip from uh, Bill Cooper, and this is um, and this is right before the um, the Richard Gage interview. And then I'll get Josh's final comment on on Syria and in in his thoughts on 9/11 and 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 ways that we can get the public to awaken. So here is the clip, everybody. Enjoy. The largest intelligence apparatus in the world, with the biggest budget in the history of the world, has been looking for Osama bin Laden for years and years and years, and can't find him. Some doofus jerk-off reporter with a camera crew waltzes right into his hideout and interviews him. So why, why do all these fools believe this charade? that a CNN reporter and his little camera crew can do what all the money and all the assets and all the eavesdropping and all the intelligence and all the satellites and all the undercover operatives in the world can never do. It's because they're not trying. They don't want to. Osama bin Laden is their creation, and he is serving them well. I mean, is this some kind of incredible joke that people are so stupid they'll fall for this? And yeah. now we're being bombarded with messages that Osama bin Laden is planning to attack the United States of America and Israel. Let me tell you something. If he's an enemy of Israel and the Mossad can't find him, then this thing is the biggest joke that you ever heard of in your life. <laughs> and I'm telling you, be prepared for a major attack. But it won't be Osama bin Laden. It will be those behind the New World Order who once again want to take the guns and the freedom away from the American people because we're the there only ones is. left in the world who can oppose the destruction of freedom in the world and then the implementation of a one-world totalitarian socialist government, and that is the goal. And whatever is going to happen that they're going to blame on Osama bin Laden, don't you even believe it. All right, I had to cut that short because we got to get to this Richard Gage interview. But, hey, final thoughts from you, Josh, on – let's do final thoughts on 9-11 first. Uh, and, and tools to to help people that already are thinking critically to um, help wake up other people. Oh, my my goodness. Um, my My heart – and and now my mind, because uh, my heart always went out to, to the victims of 9/11 and their families, but but now my mind does as well. Um, so so obviously both of those things go out to anyone who's suffering, um, based on recollect, recollections uh, of that day 12 years later. Uh, as as for people who are looking to get informed uh, more more thoroughly on the subject, as well as awaken friends and family members, uh, I would highly recommend the work of 9/11 whistleblower Richard Andrew Grove. 
uh, whose podcast is currently the Peace Revolution podcast, which uh, is it goes really in depth uh, on on the history uh, and, and philosophical uh, understanding of uh, of the High Cabal and and pragmatic solutions for usurping their control over humanity. And his initial podcast, uh, the 9/11 Synchronicity Pro- Project, which I know a lot of people may already be familiar with, um, but but it's a very long series, and it's uh, I, I believe it's over 100 hours. Um, and Peace Revolution is obviously much, much longer than that at this point, uh, running at 70 episodes now, I believe. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that that it's it's really a lot of content to consume, but it's all valuable content. Uh, so, so I would recommend that you go with an open mind, and open ears, and an open notebook. <laughs> That's a good way to do it, man. My final takeaway would be for once again heart. And like Josh said, my heart and prayers go out to the to the victims of 9/11. And and what's really sad is that not only did you lose family members that day, but you lost a really a burning part of our country that was liberty and freedom. And we did lose that. And slowly over time, it's become worse and it's become more evident that the official narrative that you were sold of how how your family members and and friends met their fate is um not factually accurate and i think that um a lot of you have stood up and spoken out architects and engineers have spoken out about it and now that that i think that the i i i really do think america might be ready after seeing what the reaction was to the invasion of syria I really do think the American public might be ready to to tackle the big question, and that is what really did happen on 9-11. And we'll never know the 100% truth of it, guys, just like we'll never know the 100% truth of of what happened over in Syria. But just understand that what we've been told isn't isn't truth. And for out of respect of those people that lost their lives that day, I believe that it's every American's responsibility and duty, if we are a free country and we all do work on rule of law, to uh, to get to the bottom of what really did happen and hold the people accountable that either perpetrated the event or stood down and let the event happen. So, sorry to end on a somber note, everybody. Um be sure to keep everybody in your prayers that was involved in 9-11 tomorrow. Um, when the day comes, it is not just an anniversary of um, of a tragic event. It is a day of remembrance for the people that lost their lives in the tragic event and, um, and the way that our country um, lost a lot of its liberties and freedoms as well due to the Patriot Act and the NDAA and subsequent other legislative decisions by our quote-unquote elected officials. So... Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm going to tie it all up with uh, Richard Gage. Uh, The interview is 38 minutes long, so it will run a little bit into overtime. So if you want to hear the last four or five minutes or so, be sure to to catch the recorded podcast. And actually, you know what? I'm going to end the show right now, and I'm just going to upload the, um, the Richard Gage interview this evening. So thanks for listening, everybody. Sorry to cut the show a little bit short, but um, I want to give my time, my health, so excuse me, myself some time to edit. As you can see, I've had a um, an interesting podcast to say the least. Hopefully, it hasn't been too all over the map, 
But um, we covered some interesting topics, gave our thoughts on Syria, and everybody, please pray for peace. I mean, I think war, I think we've all had enough of it. Just because they're people in other countries doesn't mean that they're not human beings, and we all need to start acting like responsible and compassionate human beings because the people in control and the people in charge are not responsible, nor are they empathetic human beings. So we have to make up for them. His uh, his lengthy bio. <clears throat> so for those of you who don't know who Richard Gage is, um, Richard Gage is, or I guess he's Richard Gage AIA, is a um, San Francisco Bay architect and member of the American Institute of Architects. He is the founding member of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. He is an architect for over 25 years and has worked on most types of buildings, constructions, including numerous fireproof steel frame buildings. Mostly, he worked on the construction documents for more than around 400 million mixed-use urban projects with about 1.2 million square feet of retail parking structure and 3,200 um, or excuse me, 30, 320,000 square feet of a mid-rise office space. Altogether, about one. Here, uh, in a little bit, um, Richard Gage became most interested in researching the destruction of World Trade Center, um, the World Trade Center high-rises, after hearing the startling conclusions and the reluctant. 9-11 researcher um, David Ray Griffin on the radio in 2006. He launched his own underlying question of the truth and of 9-11. 9-11 truth. Hold on. I have to add him to the group call. Looks like we've got him now. And then I'll continue with his bio here in a second. Richard, do we have you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm just finishing up your bio. So um <laughs> sure you've heard this a couple of times. Richard has become uh, interested in I'll start over. Richard's become interested in researching the destruction of WTC high rises after hearing the startling conclusions of the reluctant 9/11 researcher David Ray Griffin on the radio in 2006 when he launched his own underyielding quest for the truth in of the 9/11 tragedy. 9-11 Truth now numbers more than 1,700 architects and engineers demanding a new investigation into the destruction of all three, three that is, World Trade Center high-rise buildings on 9-11. And as you guys heard, please welcome to the show Richard Gage, AIA. How are we doing, Richard? Doing really good, Jake. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Hey, it was an absolute pleasure getting to shake hands with you. I followed your work for a long time. And um, I guess the, the best way for us to start on this journey together and what you've come to see in your research over the years is let's start out with the 9-11 event altogether, and we'll start with the, the Twin Towers. So I know you've given multiple studies, so I'm just going to give you the floor, and if you can just walk us through the events, and then we'll kind of go and, you know, piece by piece, try to put together what the official story says and then what your research has shown. Indeed. Um, the Twin Towers uh, have a uh, an incredible amount of emotional 
uh, trauma for most Americans. And we all think we know what happened there. The, the government has told us that the jet planes hit the towers and large explosion of jet fuel and uh, fires started and a weakening of the structural steel and a gravitational collapse ensued. Uh, most most Americans believe that because, because, because they haven't been exposed to the evidence. So what I like to do is expose Americans to something that most know absolutely nothing about and nobody is really traumatized over. Um, and that is World Trade Center Building 7, the third worst structural failure in modern history. And this is a 47-story skyscraper that collapses in the afternoon of 9-11, about seven hours after the Twin Towers collapsed mm -hmm. or were destroyed. And and it's really important to start with Building 7 because it is so clearly and so obviously a controlled demolition. Everybody gets it. All they have to do is look at it side by side, which we have on our website. You can see Building 7 coming down at uh, uh, ae911truth.org, ae911truth.org. And it's, it's, it starts suddenly, symmetrically, and collapses straight down almost into its footprint, just about. And so this is what typical controlled demolitions do. They they do that because they're designed to uh, minimize damage to adjacent buildings mm -hmm. and to break up the structure completely into its component parts so it's ready for broke loading and shipment. Mm -hmm. And so this is a feat really that only a handful of companies can accomplish. And uh, what we're told, though, is that fire... <clears throat> normal office fires mm -hmm. brought this building down in the manner that it came. And there were only a few scattered fires that were actually fairly small mm -hmm. in this building. And we document those on our website, too, and in our DVD, mm -hmm. which is called 9-11 Explosive Evidence Experts Speak Out. Mm -hmm. This uh, is now become the, the most watched and most shared video, in fact, uh, in September on PBS.org as a result of it being aired on Colorado Public Television. I remember are, that. <clears throat> oh, it's awesome. And there, mm -hmm. what's really cool is that there are over almost 100 stations now that are interested in airing it in September. Wow. So we're working through a vetting process. At least six stations will be airing it in September with or without that third-party vetting mm -hmm. uh, process. So in this documentary, it starts with World Trade Center 7 for the reasons I just highlighted, because people uh, are open after they see this building coming down in six and a half seconds. Mm -hmm. uh, they're open to realizing, well, you mean they lied to us about that building? They told us that fire can't do that to a building. Fire can't remove <laughs> the all 80 columns on each of at least eight floors that would be required to bring this building down symmetrically and at free fall acceleration. Free mm -hmm. fall acceleration means no resistance. Right. Not one of those columns 
gave any resistance, and this is acknowledged actually by NIST, the free fall of this building for uh, at least 100 feet wow. of its descent. And that means, and, and they stated this, uh, that would mean there'd be no structure under it. Uh, so they do not acknowledge the implications of this, these facts, uh, which are that all those columns had to have been removed virtually simultaneously on each floor for at least eight floors, and that can only be done, my friends, by explosives. Right. <laughs> so that's where they don't go. In fact, they said there's no evidence found for explosives at the World Trade Center. Later, they acknowledged that they never looked for it. <laughs> How can you find what you're not looking for? <laughs> now, there's there's more. I mean, really, this is just the beginning, even of mm -hmm. World Trade Center 7, because FEMA did a, actually a fairly good job documenting what happened to the two pieces of steel that were somehow miraculously saved from the illegal destruction of evidence that occurred in the two weeks following the collapse of these buildings. Mm -hmm. This steel was sent to China for recycling within, mm. uh, well, I think it was two, three weeks. It's, it's all gone. See, mm. theoretically, nobody was trapped in this building or died. So yep. th that, um, that steel could be removed quickly, apparently. But this is the key. I mean, this is the third worst structural failure in modern history. Mm -hmm. And yet the key evidence as to what would give uh, the reasons for its failure was illegally shipped to China for recycling. That makes no sense whatsoever. So we've got to get to the bottom of that. And in fact, they did themselves, FEMA, in May of 2002 in their Building Performance Assessment Report mm -hmm. and Appendix C, they actually document what happened to these two pieces of steel. They suffered extreme heat. We're talking about temperatures exceeding uh, two to three times what fires are even capable of. Mm -hmm. uh, melting of steel girders, looking like Swiss cheese. Hmm. Evaporation of the ends of the steel beams. And hot sulfur corrosion attack. Well, and, and, and molten iron invading the steel. Well, molten iron is a byproduct of thermite. Mm. Thermite is an incendiary used by the military to cut through steel yep. like a hot knife through butter. Mm -hmm. So it it's it should obviously be looked at as uh, among the top uh, of the uh, list of possible hypotheses by NIST, and yet they didn't even examine uh, the use of of incendiaries or explosives, even though the building looks exactly like a controlled demolition, and even though no high-rise fire <clears throat> has ever brought down a steel frame skyscraper or any skyscraper for mm -hmm. that matter, even though there's been like almost a hundred very hot, right. large, and long-lasting fires in these buildings. Yeah, they've burned for weeks. They've burned for weeks at a time, and it's and it's never never collapsed from a structural, you know, structural fire. And no plane hit this building, so they don't have the kind of the convenient excuse mm -hmm. that that they use in the twin towers destruction, where the, they say the plane uh, impact and uh, knocked the fireproofing off of these. Um, uh, 
structural elements. We don't have that in World Trade Center 7, so that's another reason we like to start there, because mm -hmm. we have removed all of the logical lies uh, that are used uh, by NIST and other supporters of the official story in Building 7. Uh, it is very clearly uh, controlled demolition, and the evidence found by FEMA themselves in mm -hmm. the pieces of steel that they did save, as well as evidence of foreknowledge of this building's destruction. The BBC announced the collapse of this building 20 minutes before it actually happened. Yeah. Uh, they apologize for that grievous error, citing mm -hmm. the confusing events of the day. Um, <laughs> that wouldn't make them psychic, though. They actually cite the reason it came down also, struck due to structural weakening. Yep. And then they had you had the firefighters at the same time that were on the street, and this is caught on film as well, saying, get back, they're going to bring it down. They're going to bring the building down because of the fires. Yeah, these are construction workers that, that are saying this. The building is going to blow up, flame and debris coming down. This is in the afternoon of 9-11. Mm -hmm. And these mysterious construction workers are walking away from Building 7 and hear this massive explosion. Mm -hmm. look, look behind them at the building and say, do you hear that? Uh, that building's coming down. Yep, they're going to bring it down. Yeah, that's <laughs> crazy. It's amazing. Yeah, it's crazy stuff. So, um, so the, we've got we've covered a little bit here, and we covered the destruction of the evidence. Is there any foreknowledge other than the people you know on the streets, you know, saying that they're going to bring it down? Is that is that pretty much all we have? Uh, that and the BBC. So. Excuse me when I say, is that all that we have, you know, a, a nationally syndicated, you know, news outlet saying that, oh, yes, we've just been informed that Building 7 has collapsed, and if you look over her left shoulder, you can actually see, you know, WTC7 sitting there. So, I mean, that's obviously the smoking gun of this whole investigation. And um, do, do you, uh, do we have anything else to tie up for WTC7, and or can we move on to the to the big um to the big show I guess it was for for the populace and that was the the destruction of the twin towers. Yeah, just one more thing. Um there the the C CNN actually announced uh the collapse of a 50-story building at uh, 1107. They mm -hmm. said a firefighter uh went by and said 50-story building went down. Um mm -hmm. there was no other 50-story building that went down. In fact, there was no other building that was destroyed uh, uh, in the manner uh, that Building 7 was at all. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there were buildings that had lots of damage due to the Twin Towers uh, uh, falling. But uh, So the, the, the point is here that had Building 7 come down at the time CNN announced it in that, that morning, Sure. We might not have any videos of it because it would have been completely obscured by the massive dust clouds uh, right. that were created when the Twin Towers uh, were destroyed that morning. So some suggest that that was its, the intention and that those construction workers coming out of the Building 7 uh, were uh, actually fixing it up, mm -hmm. uh, uh, fixing up a dud of, of a controlled demolition. Gosh, and then Great. you had, and yeah, and then you had actual witnesses. Um, I remember watching um, Alex Jones's documentary. I think it was a Terror Storm, where he actually interviews. No, that was. Um, excuse me, I'm 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 conflating evidence here. 
That was um oh gosh the uh, the nine eleven story the um oh, I cannot remember it right now off the top of my head but um anyway they interviewed one of the gentlemen that actually worked in WTC seven and he was in the building when they started catching fire and then he he actually ends up mysteriously um, passing away of a heart attack the very next year after he went public about being in the building and seeing the fires and then having somebody escort him out saying that you need to get out of here, this building is going to collapse. And I cannot remember what story that was. Well, Barry Jennings uh, worked for the mayor on the 23rd floor. He was mm-hmm. in the housing department. Uh, he, it, the building had been evacuated. But there we I, go. I guess he didn't get the the word, so mm-hmm. he's uh, crawling He's trying to he's trying to get into the building, uh, and uh, he he realizes it's been evacuated. So as he and Michael Hess, the attorney for Giuliani, were on their way out, yep. there were explosions that they experienced inside the building. Uh, this was after the destruction of the twin towers, mm-hmm. uh, clearly. And so uh, they're citing all this evidence of explosions, and uh, he was pretty adamant that he wasn't going to change his story, mm-hmm. uh, and. In fact, the the final report came out for Building Seven, and and he died the the day before, actually, oh. very mysteriously. Oh man. Okay, so on that somber note, let's move to the actual towers themselves. So the official narrative says that um, a bunch of guys with box cutters, mostly from Saudi Arabia, hijacked an airliner, um, flew into both of the World Trade Towers. And we have the magic passports and all that stuff so that we know who the pilot was because we found his passport in the rubble. But um, let's talk about the official story and what we are told. And you have witnesses to the explosions, the, the whole nine. And then let's – I guess we can start from impact and, and go from there. Okay. So uh, even NIST acknowledges that the jet fuel um, is uh, burned up in the first ten minutes mm-hmm. uh, and 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 outside the building, ninety uh, percent of it. Um, so we're not talking about massive fires uh, that are responding to jet fuel. Jet fuel is just a hydrocarbon; it doesn't burn anyway any hotter than desks or chairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, we have normal office fires in these buildings, and we have damaged columns from the airplanes. Mm-hmm. Now they, they last anywhere from fifty-six minutes to. Uh, uh, an hour and a half um, mm. in the case of the North Tower. Um, what happens is uh, a, a very interesting. Uh, we, we have 118 firefighters on record, oral testimony taken by the fire commissioner. And this testimony was held secret until August of 2005 when the court finally forced the city to turn over the, this testimony. Mm-hmm. And we find then that 118 of these firefighters are uh, describing all of these uh, eyewitness testimony of of explosions and seeing flashes of light, mm-hmm. uh, bombs going off in and around throughout the building, actually, but uh, substantially at the initiation of the collapse of of each of these buildings, all these explosions. We have dozens of witnesses on our DVD, which, again, is 9-11 Explosive Evidence. Experts speak out. That can be seen on our website. And uh, 
it's extraordinary. They're, I mean, they're not describing uh, a building uh, collapsing. They're they're talking about pops like firecrackers, like a synchronized, deliberate kind of thing. Right. On and on and on. They they talk about this, and in fact, you can see that uh, in the case of the North Tower, we're told that this upper twelve-story section drives the rest of the building down to the ground, but we can see very clearly that that's not the case because it itself is being destroyed in the first four seconds. There's nothing left of it to drive anything down mm-hmm. to the ground. Okay. Uh, so uh, it, it's like a miniature controlled demolition, like Building 7. Mm-hmm. Uh, after that, um, what we see is a massive series of explosions, like the firemen described, uh, hurling laterally these four-ton perimeter wall units at 60 miles an hour laterally um, and landing 600 feet away, many of them. Uh, so this takes an incredible amount of force that is not available in a gravitational collapse, this this lateral ejection. I mean, this is the energy required to send a 200-pound cannonball three miles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and there's tons, uh, uh, well, there's thousands of these of these heavy steel structural sections that, that that's happening to. Plus, they're freely flying. These are not, a, this is not like a, the skin of this building kind of coming apart and and just landing laterally. These are freely flying uh, objects, and they're trailed by pyroclastic-like clouds, streamers following them, indicating that the ends of these uh, structural steel sections have been uh, cut and are still burning, and that cloud of smoke is following these. This is very clearly visible in all of the videos. Mm-hmm. Well, Underneath uh, this uh, series of violent activities are isolated explosive ejections, which the demolition industry calls squibs, which are clocked at 160 to 200 feet per second. They're in an engineered kind of a a pattern. At least they're not haphazard. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're highly focused. I mean, we're told that these are ejections of air from the piston of this giant mass driving down the rest of the building. Mm-hmm. But it's not even available, as we talked about already. And even if it were, that air, it, once it got into the office space, would blow out all the windows mm-hmm. around on that particular floor, not just these pinpoint-accurate violent ejections that occur um, in what what can really be referred to as an, an engineered pattern of some kind. So that bears looking at uh, th- this, this evidence is really quite extraordinary, particularly what happens to the concrete. There's 90,000 tons of concrete in these buildings, and it's missing down at the ground. I mean, 110 floors, uh, we'd expect to be stacked up and mangled, certainly, down at the bottom of the ground, each of them an acre in size. Right. So we're talking 110 acres in each of these piles we should see, but there's only a two-story pile. And it's of core columns, perimeter columns, etc. Mm-hmm. There's no met, fluted metal decking uh, that was used to support this concrete when it's poured in wet. And it's gone. It's like pulverized. Uh, there's small metal filings in the World Trade Center dust. I've seen them myself. They come up to the magnet. Something has uh, done an incredible job of pulverizing not only 220 acres of metal decking, but 10,000 file cabinets, steel file cabinets that are missing in the debris pile below. Something has really uh, 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 
been uh, responsible for an extremely fine uh, degree of pulverization of all of these uh, office contents and people too. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we have only 300 whole bodies found. Uh, there's 1147 wow. people completely missing, not even a piece small enough to fit into a test tube. <laughs> and they found 6,000 of those pieces of people, uh, <clears throat> small enough to fit into a, a test tube. And we have uh, one person blown into 200 pieces. And these pieces of people are also distributed as far out as 600 feet from the World Trade Center. Uh, complete, In fact, 700 bone fragments a half an inch long are found on top of the skyscraper across the street from the South Tower. And they so, couldn't have... Uh-huh. Uh, so there's no real explanation for that because if, if, you're, if you're looking at something that's a complete collapse, like the official narrative is, I mean, just look at what happened last week, everybody, you know, over in um, Indonesia where they had the, uh, the sweatshop collapse. And it was like Richard said, it just looks like a bunch of pancakes stacked on top of each other. And so we have none of that here. We have we have no pancaking. We have no iron. We have no concrete. I mean, how much concrete goes into something that's that's a building of that size? I would I would think it's an enormous amount, and yet all we have is a bunch of dust. It's ninety thousand tons of concrete in each of these buildings in the floors, and uh, yeah, they're not uh, found stacked up at the bottom. Uh, they're found uh, strewn, pulverized. River to river, uh, as it's described by the, the the governor of New York, Pataki, mm-hmm. uh, a four-inch thick blanket of very fine dust, 30% of which is composed of this concrete, um, and and uh, up to 6% in many of these samples is composed of something else that is found by officials, the United States Geological Survey, USGS. Mm-hmm. doing toxicological studies on it, they find small iron microspheres, uh, the diameter of a human hair. Uh, these uh, are are elemental iron, so they're not melted steel. Mm-hmm. Where did 10 tons of iron microspheres come from? Because if you figure out how much was in one sample, you can guess how much total there might have been. And... Uh, this is extraordinary, and they have the evidence in them uh, with aluminum and manganese and carbon and oxygen. Uh, this this is uh, clearly the residue of thermite. Mm-hmm. A controlled experiment uh, shows just that on our uh, on our documentary film. Mm-hmm. So uh, they have no explanation for where these came from. But I mean, imagine if you have. Uh, a spray bottle, and you spray it in the air, you're aerosolizing liquid, and mm-hmm. it forms itself into spheres. That's just what liquid does. Uh, so you have thousands and thousands of spherical shapes almost naked to the to the eye. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what you'd have if thermite were laced throughout the columns and beams in these buildings under extreme pressure, uh, explosive pressure, uh, you'd have the aerosolizing of the liquid molten iron byproduct of thermite, um, uh, this incendiary that we've been talking about. Right. And so that would uh, then uh, disperse and fall with and cool and fall with all the dust throughout uh, the the, the uh, 
uh, Manhattan, lower Manhattan river to river. So that's the only reasonable explanation for all of these spheres. Right. And in fact, there is uh, even more proof of just that. Um, so just continuing a little bit. Now, I heard this, and correct me if I'm wrong, but um, I heard, was it was it Nitz that actually changed the melting point of steel in order to not conflict with the official story of 9/11 because i've heard something to that nature where that one of the one of the um oversight committees or what have you said that there's no way that steel can melt at 1000 degrees or whatever that jet fuel burns at i can't remember the exact number and then they actually went back and said, no, we, 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 we think that it could actually melt at around 1,000 degrees. Do you know what I'm talking about, or am I just completely missing the boat here? I don't think anybody can change the melting point of steel. <laughs> no, I think, that the, I, I think that in their documents that they went and changed it. And I'll go and research that for you because yeah, I remember uh, hearing that somewhere. And then it, it was just so they could order – in order to make the narrative a little bit more believable. Now, one thing, Richard, I know we're about out of time here with you, and um, I do appreciate you coming on. I'll have to get you back on again. But one of the things I wanted to ask you personally was how – how have you been able to escape persecution with challenging official narrative? Are you just so visibly public with this stuff that nobody really comes after you? I don't know if people come after you. I didn't even talk to you about this at all. But do, do people ever you know, challenge your description of the events? Do they ever come after you physically? Have you ever been threatened or anything like that? No, I haven't. It uh, hasn't been an issue. I'm... I'm, I'm uh... I'm just an architect who's uh sharing scientific forensic evidence. I don't have any theories that would uh threaten anybody. Um, sure. that is to say I, I don't I don't know we don't know who is responsible for this. Obviously Al Qaeda didn't have access to these highly secure buildings. So sure. somebody on the inside must. Um we're not pointing fingers because we we just don't know. Right. We want a real investigation that looks at all this evidence that NIST obviously did not look at, that uses the uh, scientific method to evaluate it, that takes immunity under, uh, to, that offers immunity to witnesses to bring them forth and takes their testimony under oath. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the kind of uh, that's what we're calling for, and so maybe we're not enough of a threat. I I hope that's the case. <laughs> On the other hand, we we have enough evidence to put somebody away for treason for a long time. Oh, absolutely. So, but that evidence is out there. It's not exclusively ours. We just kind of packaged it. Yeah, and and I and you know because that was one of the things that I was you know, I was reading the forums and trying to get you know an idea of what what the public would like to ask you if they had an opportunity to sit down with you and just ask you a few questions. It looks like I got a couple of guys here in the chat that are that are writing a question or two. If you guys want to call in with a question for Richard really quick before he's got to go in three minutes, the call-in number is 602-753-1916. That's 602-753-1916. And, Richard, as we wait for people to call in and, and also if we wait for people to type in on the uh, on the chat boards and the message boards, do you want to go over real quickly what NIST is so people know what that is and also um you know what some of the the challenges with that actual inc- or that actual organization are currently as far as getting a real investigation? 
NIST is the National Institute of Standards and Technology, and they were tasked by the Congress to explain the collapse of these buildings, and they did not do it. They uh, simply took their $20 million, three-year, 10,000-page report up to the point of initiation of collapse, and then they have a one-and-a-half-page speculation that says that the building uh, must have collapsed. After all, we all saw it collapse. They didn't even analyze the capability of the structural steel underneath the uh, point of jet plane impacts to resist uh, the, 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 the collapse whatsoever. And mm -hmm. this is ludicrous because that's what structural engineers do. Right. Um, and it should have been done. And yet their report is called a final report on the collapse. And there is no technical analysis whatsoever huh. on the actual collapse. That's one of our chief problems. The other problem is that it, it completely avoids all the evidence we just highlighted and more, which is in our uh, DVD, uh, at AE911truth.org, mm -hmm. including the finding of red-gray chips of nanothermite, which are extremely high-tech uh, form of thermite made only in the most sophisticated, uh, advanced uh, uh, contracting laboratories from defense contractors. Uh, so we've got to get an investigation that includes the source of these materials. This is in a 25-page peer-reviewed paper, by the way, mm -hmm. which has not been contested. Hmm. Wow, that's just amazing. It, it, it's amazing how many holes are in there, but it's also amazing to me that, that people don't... It's it's almost like a, um, I, I want to call it um, a normalcy bias with people in the fact that they they want to believe that the establishment wouldn't lie to them, and they want to believe that that... You know, you and I both know that the official story is a fable, and we just and you're you're someone like myself that just I just want I want a legitimate investigation. I want some of these questions answered, and I don't want it answered in some haphazard book, you know, that comes out years later saying, oh well, we're going to debunk all the conspiracies. Which anybody that knows anything debunking doesn't mean that you've proved it factually inaccurate. It just means that you have basically circumvented that portion of the argument you haven't proven the point either way you've just kind of discredited that that uh, analysis but um richard i appreciate you so much for coming on we i got to get you on for a little bit longer next time and we'll get you some calls up and and get you some really good questions out there and um once again thank you for your time richard gage aia everyone and richard one more time if people want to get in touch with you if people want the information want the dvd um give them the avenues again i know you've given it a couple of times through the interview but let's go ahead and give it in a concise manner so everybody can go there get the information out and and really start calling for you know a, an overhaul of that investigation that that the majority of people that have looked at the evidence think that is just um just not thoroughly done and it needs to be at least revisited right on the, we the website is ae911 truth Dot org stands for Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth, AE911Truth.org. Okay, fantastic. Well, thank you, Richard, for your time. We really appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, that is going to do it for me. This um, this show, it was a brief show. We were just going to get Richard on here and um, give his once-over on the 9-11 quote-unquote conspiracy, which is um, – it's not really conspiracy at all. It, it is the fact that – there are a lot of questions that are unanswered, and that is a pivotal point in our nation where we need some closure. We need something to be able to tell us
that a controlled demolition wasn't in place and show me some evidence that it wasn't. Or show me some evidence that the planes actually did bring the buildings down, which we've got the conflicting evidence that Richard has just talked about with the nanothermite and all that stuff. I just want some answers. And the 9-11 Commission answers that we've got about the hijackers in general, the whole thing is just stinks to high heaven. But who knows? My personal take is we're never going to know who did this and why. But what I want to know is who covered up and who stands to gain from that. And that is going to lead us into the into the right questions. And that's also going to lead us into some answers as to, you know, what has changed. I mean, if you look at how the American public has changed since 9-11, it, it's dramatic. I remember they did a Fox poll last week that said that uh, after 9-11 that 70% of Americans would give up their their freedom for security. And then after the Boston bombing, they asked people the same question and it was only 40% would part with their freedom for security. So obviously we're having an effect and people understand that, that liberty is going to be the way to go and the truth is going to be the way to go. But the overlying, the overwhelming issue at hand here is that somebody knew prior to taking 3,000 plus American lives could have stopped it and didn't. You know, they say that, oh, well, we, we, George Bush said we could have never, we could never have thought of, you know, uh, anybody flying planes into buildings. That's just crazy. When they were running a simulated drill the exact same day at the exact same time of planes flying into buildings. So I just want some answers, and I think that the American public deserves some answers, especially the people that lost family members and had their lives changed forever on that tragic day on 9-11. So thanks, everybody, for listening. I really appreciate you know, Richard coming on on such short notice. I, I met him a couple of weeks ago and, you know, and hounded him to get on my show. But um, thank you to Richard Gage and Architects for Engineers and 9-11 Truth. Thank you guys for speaking out, doing what activists around the world should be doing, you know, and, you know, questioning the answers and trying to get some questions answered. And that's all we got to say. Everybody, once again, thanks for listening. Um, get a friend, get informed, and get involved, and let's defend liberty, everyone. Your heart's-